how does somebody generate 40 million in sales in their first 18 months as a realtor? We're gonna find out today. Stay tuned. This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by Real Geeks. How many homes are you going to sell this year? Do you have the right tools? Is your website turning soft leads into interested buyers? Are you spending money on leads that aren't converting? Well, Real Geeks is your solution. Find out why agents across the country choose Real Geeks as their technology partner. Real Geeks was created by an agent for agents. They pride themselves on delivering a sales and marketing solution so that you can easily generate more business. Their agent websites are fast and built for lead conversion with a smooth search experience for your visitors. Real Geeks also includes an easy-to-use agent CRM, so once a lead signs up on your website, you can track their interest and have great follow-up conversations. Real Geeks is loaded with a ton of marketing tools to nurture your leads and increase brand awareness. Visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod and find out why realtors come to Real Geeks to generate more business. Again, visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod. And now, on to our show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris. I am your guide and host through the show. And in just a moment, we're going to be speaking with top producer Tony Clark. Before we get to Tony, just a couple of quick reminders. Guys, we are publishing now every single weekday a short form video clip from one of our episodes that has some sort of nugget of wisdom that you can take action on immediately. So we want to keep feeding you with these great uh, you know, pieces of content from our guests. So the best way to find these is just to find us on social media. We are literally on all the platforms, uh, not MySpace and not Google Plus, obviously, but uh, on all the others. You know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, probably a few others. But anyway, just do a search for Keeping It Real podcast on whatever social app you're using and please hit that subscribe button and let us know what you think of the short form videos. And please also tell a friend about the show. Think of one other agent that needs to hear what you're you're about to hear from Tony and send them a link to either our website, keepingitrealpod.com, or just tell them to pull up a podcast app and look for Keeping It Real. Hit that subscribe button. We appreciate you. All right, guys, let's get to the main event. My conversation with Tony Clark. On the show, we have Tony Clark from Beverly and Company in California and also with House Haven in Tennessee. Let me tell you more about Tony. Now, Tony is a real estate agent with a background in both real estate sales and investment real estate strategy. Now, this is incredible, um, everyone. So please, please check this out. With in his first 18 months as a realtor, he closed over 40 million in volume. Uh, he also realized the importance that good systems make in a real estate agent's business and has since opened up his own consulting firm dedicated to helping agents improve their systems and to scale their businesses. And he even has his own CRM that is dropping probably by the time this episode is released, it'll be uh, available. So I want you to check out Tony in a couple of different places. First, I want you to follow him on Instagram. So follow him at tonyclark.realestate. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And I also 
really want you to check out his new CRM, and we're going to find out more about that today as well, which is realtyflow.io. Again, realtyflow.io. Link to that will also be in the show notes. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to to, to talk to you. I I rarely. Um, it's funny. I've been doing this show for for five or six years now, and I I always feel like I've seen and heard it all from from our guests who are all superstars in the industry. But rarely do I get to talk to a like a rookie superstar. And not only did you close forty million in your first year and a half, which is insane, obviously, but you also are like practice practicing now in two states and two markets, which is. Even more incredible. I know you're mostly in California, but you also practice in Tennessee, uh, Nashville as well. So um, let's get let's start at the very very beginning, which is not a much that long ago. Um, but I'd love to know how you got into real estate and why. Yeah, I uh, I jumped into real estate actually from the investment space. I worked at a private equity firm that did residential real estate. Just kind of wanted to learn the ropes. I was. Uh, all the way back when I was a kid, I was that kid trying to sell baseball cards to his friends or try to, you know, I flipped golf clubs in high school, you know, just the stereotypical business minded kid. And uh, sure. I always say houses are just bigger toys than, uh, you know, the stuff that we we sell growing up. But um, but yeah, so started at a private equity fund, kind of learning the investment side. Uh, they were based out of California, but bought in different markets in the Southeast. And so I was essentially acting as a real estate agent for them, but just sourcing properties for them and running deal analysis and um, really got a lot of good experience there, but realized pretty quickly that basically what I was doing for them was being a real estate agent who could only have one client. And so I uh, wound up transitioning uh, from the fund to getting my license and uh, actually wound up moving to Tennessee with my wife uh, after I got licensed so that we could start, you know, investing ourselves and build, uh, build a clientele there, which was where I was uh, really focused on when I was at the uh, private equity fund. Wow. So, and, and were, were there lessons that you learned working in PE private equity that you were able to bring into the individual sort of realtor practice? Absolutely. I think the big thing that I learned from private equity is whether you're buying one house or a thousand, it all comes down to the numbers, at least when you're looking at investment real estate, uh, that when you're looking at a deal or looking at a, uh, a market, it's all about understanding um, one, the, the risks that come with investing in that market, um, and then also what your numbers look like, where at the end of the day, if it's a, if it works on the spreadsheet and you've accounted for the, the risks, you know, that you have a much better chance of that property being a good asset or a good buy. And that translates to then working with individuals where it, again, doesn't matter if, uh, if it's a big fund or someone looking to buy their first property, uh, you, you can just get down to the numbers and, the end of the day, it is a big financial decision that they're making. Since I so rarely get to talk to anyone with your background, I, I just have a, a quick question. And again, I, I know you're still newer yeah. to this industry, but you have this unique perspective. Was it any surprise to you to see the iBuyer um, start to the iBuyers start to fade away? Yeah. You're talking about numbers, right? It's all about the numbers, mm -hmm. and we're seeing companies that really should have those numbers locked in pretty well. And I'm not here to disparage companies like Zillow. Yeah. Except, like I love Zillow, um, but mm -hmm. even they got it wrong, right? So mm -hmm. it's it's interesting. Yeah. What do you think's going on on the iBuyer side? 
Yeah, it's one of those things that's so the model that the iBuyers use is so tough to do at scale. It was really yeah. the the PE fund that I was at was trying to do one to four unit residential properties at scale. And they were a small fund with, you know, a few hundred houses. And I couldn't imagine a, a fund bigger than them doing what they're doing. You have to manage yeah. so many people and so many contractors and keep so many things straight that even if you have multiple levels of management, it's just tough to get that right. And especially when you're buying with uh, with such tight margins, which is what we would see them doing. I know I brought a couple of properties to those iBuyers, didn't do a lot of work with them, but you know, even the, the prices that they had to pay for the properties in order to win them and then try to sell them for higher, it's just a it, Like, were, were you able business. to look at those yeah. and say like, they're overpaying, this is crazy? Oh, yeah. Oh, they were, I was like, either they're, you know, much smarter than me because I have, they know something I don't or something is, something isn't adding up and I'm not going to say I'm smart enough to go pay more than they are for this house. So I'm just going <laughs> to let it be. <laughs> well, turns out they were wrong. So, uh, so good. yeah, um, but, but I, so, but let's, I, so our, that's, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get us off track, but I, I figured I got Tony. He, yeah. he knows the private equity world. I was mm. like, what's going on with all these iBuyers? But let's, let's get to the, the real meat of this because the really impressive thing you did in the first 18 months is close 40 million in production. And that is, that it, that puts you in the top one tenth of 1% of new realtors in the whole country. I mean, probably even more than the top 10, one tenth of 1%. So, um, you are at this very elite level, um, I don't think success happens by accident. Maybe unless unless you had a friend who had a forty million dollar property that we sold. It was a one transaction. <laughs> Just then I would say, the the and year. even that, I want to hear that story too. But I don't think that yeah. was what happened. So, how did you do it? Every one of our our listeners and viewers is like they're they're dripping with jealousy, just like I am. How did you do it? And um, what what might might you suggest to uh, agents who want to duplicate that sort of success? Yeah, I mean, I think it was really a, a mix of a few things. And the first was, you know, I I did get very lucky with both the timing and the market that I was in. So, you know, there were some things that I did, and I'll talk about that, but starting with, you know, getting into real estate right during the COVID boom, and then being yeah. in Nashville, Tennessee, which is one of the more talked about investment markets, uh, definitely were some tailwinds that, that helped. So, um, but then within that I know when I first got my license, I had a mentor who kind of told me, he said, Hey, it's um, the first thing you need to do is find a niche. And for me, I'd kind of thought that, uh, in, you know, investment real estate made sense, but also it was like, who's going to listen to a kid in their mid twenties, tell them about investment properties. So it was this kind of, apparently a lot sport. of people. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. And, and so I really, that mentor was really pushing me on that. And uh, I said, okay, you know, I'm not going to do any marketing to first time home buyers. I'm not going to do any marketing for luxury real estate. I'm just going to focus on this for six months and we'll see how it goes. And uh, it was definitely slow getting started. Those first few months, you just kind of bumble around and try things that don't work and try some things that work. And uh, I think it, it, at least when I was first starting out, it was niching down and saying, I'm just going to focus on investors. And even within that saying, I'm looking for a very specific type of investor. And I think this can go for uh, any real estate agent who, even if investors isn't your niche, but let's say it's first time home buyers. For me, I said, I'm looking for investors who need loans on the property where they're not the flippers that are paying all cash and gonna go flip 50 houses. I, I don't wanna go write a bunch of offers for them and get rejected. I'm looking for an investor who 
has, you know, has enough money for a down payment and is looking for a rental that's just going to give them monthly income. There's a lot more of those out there and there's less, it's kind of this sweet spot where there, there haven't been as many realtors, at least that I saw in Nashville who focused on that. And so once I identified that niche, then it was just asking the question, well, okay, where are they at? Um, where can I find them? And uh, then it went and turned into a lot of just let's, let's go to real estate meetups and let's go uh, bigger pockets was a big uh, source. Oh, sure. Like let's go find those people essentially. Um, I'm going to pause you for a second because I, I want for yeah. anyone who is listening, who is a little bit lost on like what, what Tony's talking about. So you know, his niche was he wants to work with investors. He wants buy and hold investors who need loans, right? So we've now identified his niche. Now you might be thinking, well, where does Tony find these people who, um, and, and there are places to find it, but my question is actually going to be a different question. Um, Tony is, is it, it's been my experience talking to other investors and uh, mm -hmm. people in this industry who do what you do, that finding the investors is actually the easy part. My suspicion is finding mm -hmm. the deal is step number one. In other words, finding those mm -hmm. opportunities to then present to a, 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 versus, you know, now traditional, you know, primary residents, home buyers are, they can look on Zillow, they can look on Redfin. Yep. The agent isn't always the one that finds the property. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the buyer or is usually finding the property and bringing it to the realtor. I want to go see that place. Now, for on the investor side, I'm guessing it's you finding the deal and then you saying, here's a, a cash flow opportunity and then going mm -hmm. to your pool of investors. By the way, for anyone who isn't familiar with Bigger Pockets, it is the largest online forum for real estate investors in the country. It is by far the top of the mountain. If you ever really want to get a good education, and understand how re how investors think and talk to each other. It's basically like Reddit for investors. That's that's what it is. It's it's where where you can. It's a social component. I've had the Bigger Pockets guys on my show before. I love those guys. They're just awesome. Um, and it is a great place to uh, to learn how to talk to investors. But anyway, was I right about that? That finding the opportunity is really the hard part, and finding the money and the investors is the easy part. Absolutely. I think that's the the first step being finding the investors as far as, you know, if you find a great deal, but nobody can buy it, then you're kind of out of luck. But that's definitely the easy part. And I think then going and finding the, the deal comes down to even first, I think, understanding who you're working with on the investor side and what they're looking for. That was something that I learned from the private equity fund that I took into real estate was let me sit down with this investor and work through exactly what they're looking for in a property. And without getting too technical on the investment side, basically saying, you know, here is either the return that you're looking for or what kind of neighborhood are you looking for as far as how quickly it's growing versus how stable or, you know, whatnot. Let's sit down and figure out what you're looking for and then go find properties that fit that, that box. It's the same thing when I work with because uh, I will take clients on who are looking to buy their first home or friends and family. And it's the same thing as, you know, I could love a house that we go see, but if it's not the kind of house that they're looking for, I just wasted both of our time. And so sure. to really get um, narrowed down on their criteria, that then gives me a better, uh, a better feel for going out and finding those properties so that when I present it to them, I want to know how to present it uh, and say, look, this is what fits your goals. And also I can Kind of weed out a lot of the properties that don't so so it kind of winds up being a, an easier way to search 
So basically, you you, you meet with an investor. You say, okay, mm-hmm. what are you looking for? In other words, is there an, uh, an annualized rate of return mm-hmm. that you'd like to have? Yeah. Is the is the K one for um, tax deduction the most important mm-hmm. thing? Is it the income? Is it the appreciation? So Tony walks his. Uh, or, or doesn't walk people through. He finds out exactly what his investors want and need. And then he says, okay, I get it. I know what you want. Now my job is to go find these properties. So here's question number two. So now you've identified the the needs of the client and now mm-hmm. it's, okay, now you got to find the hard part, the property. Where are you finding the properties? How, what percentage of the time are the mm-hmm. properties on the MLS? And what percentage of the time are you doing creative ways to find things that are not yeah. available on the MLS? Yeah, I would say it it shifted even within the past couple of years. It's definitely shifted where early on it was more off market. I would go just try to network with people. So I'd go to not necessarily real estate agent events, but real estate investor events or business networking groups and just ask everyone I knew. I'd say, hey, I've got somebody who's looking for XYZ type of property. Do you know of anybody? And then I'd put them into my follow-up system and just follow up with them saying, I've got a buyer looking for this. Do you have anything? Um, and same thing with wholesalers. I would go find wholesalers or investors and say, do you have anything coming up? Keep me on your list. And it was really just finding the people who were out there hunting for deals daily um, and then keeping in touch with them. And that I think was key for finding those properties. So you weren't sending all these mailers to these, uh, these multifamily buildings or whatever saying, Hey, I want to buy your property, which some people do and have success Mm -hmm. with that. You can go knock on doors. There are ways to find properties Mm -hmm. that aren't even aren't listed at all. Um, but Mm -hmm. that are, you know, uh, mom and pop may, you know, owns, owns a multifamily and you, there's a million different ways Mm -hmm. and and there are much, much better podcasts than this, um, specifically for how to creatively find those properties. We're not real estate investing podcasts per se, but I was curious. Um, but you do sometimes find them on the MLS as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. And it was probably, I'd say close to 50-50 where the MLS was a lot more of what you were talking about. If they were looking for just a property to park money in or some, you know, a few new builds that were going to be nice corporate rentals or, you know, you you find properties on the MLS, but I'd always just tell my clients, I'd say, hey, I'll I'll set you up. I said, I have a three-step process where I will set you up on the auto search for properties. And this I think works with any client where I'd say, I'll set you up on the auto search. So if I'm away from my office for whatever reason, you get the properties and you don't have to rely on me seeing them. I'll also CC myself on the auto search and that step too. And I go through that once a day. So if there's something that really jumps out to me, then I'll reach out to you directly as well. So it can be, there's two way conversation, you know, that I'm, I'm actively looking for you. Uh, and then three is the off market properties. And that's, you know, I'll, I'll really be personally reaching out to you on those. But I think that that helped me win a lot of clients initially where they said, oh, he's going to do more than just set me up on an auto search and wait for me to respond and just kind of earn some trust early on. And how important is it to be active in these online forums like Bigger Pockets so that you can get access to this huge network of people who want to invest and also learn? I mean, I tell everyone, if you mm-hmm. want the best education about how to how to add 
um, the service of being able to support clients who want real estate investment um, advice and, and want those kind of deals. Bigger Pockets is, I, I can't think of a better place to go than that. Um, but uh, how important is that for the education and also the networking? Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's big. If people, it, it's just reaching out and letting people know that you're there to add value. I think that's the big thing is if you're there to learn and to add value, um, that networking is big because everybody can kind of see through if you show up with the business card to the networking event and say, hey, call me if you're going to buy, sell a property and they'll they'll add your card to the list of 20 other people. Yeah, but yeah. if you're there and you're, you're either, you know, very interested in learning about their experience and that's where um, I, I see real estate agents and lenders and people who do that really well, they're there to learn and then they're there to add value of, you know, even if it's just one tidbit. And I learned this from uh, one of my mentors. He's like, hey, find one thing about your market that most real estate agents don't know. Um, and you can just throw that into your first conversation of Nashville. It was within the Nashville Metro. There were two different tax districts and one you paid about half the property taxes you did in the other. And I would just oh. throw that into my first conversation where. Nobody I would like to know that if I was moving to Nashville. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'd say, hey, here's, you know, it's the the Briley Loop, the the freeway. If, essentially, if you're inside that, your property taxes are going to be almost twice what they will if you're outside. And all of a sudden, you've added value and, and built trust. But you can only do that if you get in front of people uh, either networking online or in person. And so I, I think that's huge. I think that's a big, big value add. Yeah, it, I, I, what again? You've really only been practicing in a, as a realtor for for a short amount of time. What percentage of agents do you think have your particular skill set uh, with respect to you know a real estate investment? Like, I, I I'm just going to throw a, a number I'm completely making out of whole cloth. I'm going to say less than three percent of realtors probably focus in the the market that you're in, or, or focus in real estate investing. Um, mm. Would that be a, a, a roughly fair? Yeah, it's that's a question that honestly I I haven't been around enough or in enough markets to see in Nashville. I will say so now being in Nashville and in California, that percentage was much higher in Nashville. Yeah. I think just because there's so much Nashville was exploding there. Yeah. That's yeah, but it was it's still low. I mean, it's still I think you know that three to five percent there, and then probably you know one percent or less that really focus on real estate in California or on investing, investing um, where yeah. I am in California. It, it's such a nice additional avenue to add. So you know, and again, you can't be all things to all people. You're like, hey, I'm not a luxury guy. I'm not a first time home buyer yeah. guy. I mean, you could be, and you could you could get mm -hmm. your way through those deals, obviously. Yeah. But it's not your main focus. But it's it's mm -hmm. it's a nice thing, you know. If it was me, and I, I guess it's all about what you're into. Like you came from that world. Mm -hmm. You came from the PE world. Um, yeah. It's what you're into. You're a numbers guy. You're a systems guy. And mm -hmm. let's actually let's switch to systems because that is, you know. Anyone can grind out, not anyone, but a lot of times people think, well, mm -hmm. Tony did 40 million in 18 months in his first 18 months. He must've just grinded it out and you probably did, but I'm curious to know what systems helped make that mm. a little bit easier for you because I imagine you were working pretty long hours to get to those numbers. That's, yeah, it was really uh, definitely trying to figure out how to take what I was doing, my, my, my motto, as far as growing and scaling is I say, okay, let's, let's work really hard. And then let's figure out how to simplify what I'm doing so that I can scale bigger and then work really hard, simplify scale. Like that's, that's kind of how I think about it. And so the first 
few months that I was in the business, it was let's just call everyone I can on my cell phone or go through Facebook or, you know, keep a Google sheet and then realize that's not sustainable for anything. And so uh, then started using a, a CRM and really keeping track of my contacts and trying to set tasks for myself to follow up with people and trying to, you know, still make it personal because we've all seen the uh, the automated emails where you know that you're on a mailing list and it sounds like a mailing list and you you burn trust that way. So I said, well, I, I don't want to do that, um, but let's figure out how to keep in touch with my clients and really just organize my database because like you were talking about with, oh, go ahead. No, I I, so, I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt your flow. I, I'm yeah. super excited to hear about how what mm-hmm. systems you built to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really... Um, uh, the first one was my database. And at first I used the the CRM that was provided from my brokerage and then tried a couple others, but it was really more the, the functions of, I would, anybody who went into my database or anyone I met went into my database. I'll start there. Um, and then I tagged them as whether they were a you know, buyer, seller, uh, vendor, friend, whoever. Um, and then they'd get added to a couple of things where one, I just had a newsletter that I pushed out and it wasn't anything groundbreaking. I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but it was just, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm in the market. Here's a little tidbit to add value. Um, and then from there, I always knew, you know, one, I would be able to fish kind of with that newsletter. And then anyone who was active, I really kept track of where they were in the process and what they were expecting from me. If I had active clients, I would know that, Hey, I'm going to call them every couple of days or every day or, you know, whatnot. And then anybody who was still a, a new lead, I'd push them through. Uh, I did have a few automated campaigns and templates and things I'd use for new leads. And it was really, I, I would just develop those based off of, if I did something once, I'd say, let's figure out a way to simplify this the next time. So let's put an automation or a task in, and then let's figure out how to do a hundred times more work with that same system without it breaking. So you'd meet with a client and you'd get a sense of mm-hmm. what their expectations are of you and you would identify those and, and mm-hmm. probably arrive at some sort of agreement, like um, whether it's verbal or, or just internal, yeah. you're like, okay, I know what I need to do for this client, which means mm-hmm. I'm going to call them either every day, every other day, every three days. You you made that de- determination. Of course, every client could be different and you make that determination and then you set up the repeating tasks so that you don't forget it. it you know, again, this sounds so basic. However, it, the basics are, or the fundamentals are usually what win the game. And so as silly as it is to go, remember every three days in your calendar, you have to call so-and-so. Um, I, it, it's funny. I've told this story before and I apologize for our, our audience that has heard it ad nauseum, but I talked to one of the top agents in Chicago here um, many years ago. And I said, what do you think? It literally out of 46,000 agents, she's number one. And I was like, how did you, what, 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 why are you number one? And, and you know, what did you do different? She goes, DJ, I call every one of my clients every week. And I go, uh-huh. and wow. she's like, well, oh, active clients. Right. And she okay, goes, yeah. Um, yeah, active clients. And I said, and like, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, not so, but kind of I was expecting a yeah. bigger. And she goes, yeah. uh, well, she, obviously there's a million other things she does, mm-hmm. but she goes, that's my secret sauce. And I was like, it's, yeah. it's that. And she goes, I know it sounds really silly, right? And she goes, that's it. She goes, you'd be shocked. Most mm-hmm. agents don't. They're afraid to call their clients unless it's good news. Yeah. So, um, so curious to get, to get your thoughts. Like when you know you have to call them every couple of days, do you already know I mean, unless it's like new news that you have mm-hmm. to prevent to them. Do you know sort of yeah. what you're going to say? Yeah. 
Yeah, typically it'll be, and whether it's a, you know, I, I say call, sometimes it would be a text. I'd, I'd use sure. the word communicate of, you know, yeah. uh, get in touch with them to stay top of mind. And yeah, when there was no news, it would really just be a quick, usually just a quick text of saying, hey, just wanted to check in with you. Nothing new on the market today or nothing new I've seen, but wanted to let you know I'm looking. And Perfect. that was that was it. They know that I'm looking for them, but there was nothing there. Not I dropped off the face of the earth because they haven't heard from me in two days and they're checking Zillow for three hours a day and feeling right. like their agent isn't uh, isn't there with them. Yeah, the number one reason people fire their agent is shocking, not shockingly, communication. Mm -hmm. It's consistency, yeah. communication. Um, so, so okay, so you now have these systems in place mm -hmm. where, with respect to communication. What other? Tell me about how you began to develop your systems so that because again that isn't necessarily super easy mm -hmm. to scale, right? Because you have a certain number yeah. of clients, you have a certain number of phone calls or texts or emails mm -hmm. you can make in a day. So how do you, how do you sort of keep it all organized? Yeah. So what I started to do with the the systems is as I kept scaling, I said, okay, I, I need to push a, a system until it breaks where, like you said, the tasks, I let me just call everyone until I can't call everyone anymore. And then let's step it up. And so it, within my niche, what I wound up doing is I started tracking where I would lose clients. And oh, I started to see like, okay, I'm getting X amount of leads in from, and you mentioned bigger pockets. I bought bigger pockets leads for a long time. Yep. Um, and they were sure. a great lead source where mm -hmm. they would come in and I had an automated workload come into my CRM. I'd hit them with an intro email that had a video in it saying, here's a little bit about the market. I'd love to book a call with you. Here's my calendar invite. And then I just had an automated email and text that would go out every day to them um, just if until they booked a meeting. And sure. so that, you know, as one example, I realized uh, that came out of me realizing that I was losing a lot of leads that came in because I, even though I felt like I was reaching out to them quickly within, you know, 15, 30 minutes, it wasn't instantaneous and somebody else was. And isn't, isn't that amazing? I, yeah. yeah. That's like 15 to 30 minutes. It's almost like it that's happened a century wild. ago. Yeah. That's yeah. Because by, by that point they're done looking at properties and they're moving on to their next thing. And if somebody calls them right when they're looking, it's, you know, when I, if I need my lawn mowed and I go call one lawn care company and they don't pick up, I'm just going to move on and call the next okay. one. And it's, it's ridiculous when you're looking at it from the other side of things of we have yeah. such short attention spans, but it, it it's such a big thing. So, um, but yeah, I would track really, uh, that being one example, I, I would track where I was losing leads and then try to figure out a way to plug that hole on if it was, okay, new leads are coming in and I'm converting them at, you know, 20% and I should be at 30 or I think I can get to 30. Let me go analyze that part of my business and make it better. And this is where I, I'm just a data numbers nerd on that side yeah. of things. And so I'd look at that or then I'd look at my pipeline and say, okay, I, you know, I'm getting a lot of good clients in, but then I'm not, you know, I'm losing them once they become clients and I should be converting higher here. Okay. That's because I'm not finding good deals for them. Let me go find more ways to find them properties or under contract. Am I not doing a good job of uh, communicating with lenders or inspectors or getting bids from contractors? You know, there's, there's different factors at each stage of the client sure. journey um, or after they bought a property, how much repeat business am I getting? Uh, and if it's low, how can I follow up with them better? So there's these 
I kind of developed five different stages where I could be losing clients. And then I just try to optimize each one of those and, and make those better. So it's, it's all Incredible. basic stuff, but it's just putting a framework in to, to think through it. Well, push-ups are basic too, and they're also super yes. important, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so and yeah. I mean, I mean that with the with the highest yeah. possible compliment because it's it's always these fundamentals. And just as you were telling me, you know, I'm thinking about I'm a recruiter, right? Basically, recruit realtors. So uh, I could I was trying to apply this to my own um, systems of like where do I lose recruits? Like why do they mm. end up choosing other yeah. firms and where in my process? But because I think. I think that comes from from that that private equity large scale size. Even though you were mm-hmm. you were at a smaller firm or at a smaller fund, um, you still were managing hundreds of houses. And so this idea of scalability is is obviously important. So you have to look for those weak points. And this idea of doing an audit in your communication mm-hmm. chain, in your um, you know, or just in your, your sales pipeline uh, and, and looking at yeah. your five stages, identifying those weak points and plugging those holes, as you said. Boy, I, I I'm loving that. Um, and and you're a numbers guy, so you're 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 a metrics person. So everything is mm-hmm. is benchmarked and metriced, and we know if we're above the line or below the line, and if we're below. And what's really cool about real estate um, stuff is there's a lot of data out there that you can mm-hmm. use to say what is the you know on a bigger pockets lead or a Zillow lead or whatever it might yeah. be. You know, the average close rate is this. I want to get to X. So a lot of this data is already there for you to benchmark against. Um, and it just helps you become super efficient, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, and I think it's something that had not everybody in real estate, but I feel like most of us are pretty competitive too. And so if you can use data to say, oh, here's where the average is, or here's where the top tier are, I'm sitting you know, below that. Oh, what's it going to take for me to get there, for me to get to the next level? And I, I think it's a good mesh of being able to use those, uh, those data points to push yourself to be better. Yeah. I mean, even I would even encourage all of our listeners or viewers, if there's someone in your local market, who's a realtor that you admire that has like a very, you know, some really impressive numbers, whether it's production, whether it's uh, days on market, whether it's, you know, percentage Mm -hmm. or list price, whatever the metric is that you're like, how do they do that? literally call them and be like, I am so enamored with the way that you do X, Y, or Z. I'm your biggest fan. I, I noticed you do all these things. Could I grab 15 minutes of your day? Um, mm-hmm. I'll buy you coffee or lunch or whatever. I will. I promise you that will be, it'd call five of those people. One of those people, if not all five, will take that 15 minutes. And and, and have, have you ever done that? Where are you um, reaching out to other mentors? You said you have mentors, so. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's something that either both within my market in Nashville, I did that a few times. And then even outside of the market, I'd find somebody who was out in Ohio or Pennsylvania where they're just crushing it in their market. But I'd say, hey, you know, one big fan uh, would love to even in investment real estate, it was the, hey, I can add value. I would love to push people your way if they're not a fit for Nashville, like the numbers look good in your market or whatever. Um, you know, would love to pick your brain for 15 minutes or, you know, usually instead of pick your brain, I don't like that saying as much. Yeah, it's like, who cares? Yeah. Just, yeah. hey, I, I've got these three questions or here's the one thing I'm struggling with. Would yes. you mind sharing what you do here? Because I see you doing it really well. And that's a, awesome. an easy answer for them. They don't have to think through, oh, what's he going to ask? It's no, here's the question. Here's where they right. can 
add value and they're happy to and, happy to give and it it's minutes. super flattering to ask someone for their advice it is what it, it, mm. it, it you we think maybe oh we'll be annoying those people will be bothering them maybe you will but good chance you won't be because they're going to be so mm. flattered that that you've recognized something in their process that probably most people don't recognize. They just see them as successful yeah. or, and, and you're like, Hey, I noticed you do this one mm-hmm. thing. I'm I, like you said, I'm such a fan of yeah. that. I would love to learn how you do that. And maybe I can add value to you and help mm-hmm. you and et cetera. Um, it's all about those, those connections and those um, you almost have to be a fan of, of, of other agents. I yeah. think, I, yeah. I have learned that after almost 500 episodes, the top agents mm-hmm. that I've had on the show, they're always like so happy to, to get, they get excited about other mm-hmm. agents um, yeah. because they're like, oh, there's this other guy that does this really cool mm-hmm. thing. And and so I think that's part of it too. Um, but knowing your numbers, right? You, that we're, we'll go mm-hmm. back to, to systems. You, you got to know your numbers. You got to spend the time every single day studying your local market, studying your niche. You got to know the numbers and most agents. The good news is most agents really don't know their numbers. If we're being mm-hmm. honest, so for the people yeah. that do spend that time and and really niche down and figure out where they mm-hmm. they, they 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 blossom and bloom and and it's just it's so impressive because most mm-hmm. agents aren't going to spend that time doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think if that's you, and either if you're numbers driven or even if you're not, but you're able to take a little bit of time and. Uh, run through it, you you have such a, a leg up on the competition, or you'll at least, and I'd love to hear your take on this too. I think that's how you can build a sustainable business. You're never chasing the next client. Then you say, um, you know, here's my marketing budget for this month, or here's how many people I need to cold call, or, you know, if I do this, then this will happen within reason, you know, markets can change and shift, sure. but you're never, I would think you'll be less stressed on uh, when's the next deal coming in because you're focused on those things that you can control to make that next deal happen. Totally. And and all that we can ever really control is is our thoughts and actions, right? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. that's all we can control. In, and the good news is we can control it mostly. Um, but I want to talk about Realty Flow. This is your CRM because you are a systems guy and you were looking mm-hmm. for a CRM solution for your particular niche. And you were like, I you couldn't really find one that was a perfect fit. You're like, I'm going to build one. Mm. So, and by the way, many people have attempted this. This is not, yeah. uh, this is a tough, tough business, mm. but I want, I want to, if I was going to, you know, I would be looking at a CRM from a guy who did 40 million in his first 18 months. That seems like <laughs> a guy I'd want to follow. Um, so tell us about Realty Flow and what you're looking to do with that. Yeah, it really, so Realty Flow came out of the, uh, essentially came out of the consulting firm that I've been running for the last few months on, basically, I've been going in and exactly what we just talked through uh, with other real estate agents saying, hey, I'll come in, I'll help you audit your numbers, I'll help you look at, you know, what systems you're using, and let's figure out ways to streamline your business and kind of come in and do that. And I went through that a few times with agents and realized that there were some similarities between uh really agents at different productivity levels uh you know the top top tier agents usually had their systems pretty dialed a lot of newer agents uh it it, their systems were like giving a ferrari to a 15 year old uh who hasn't learned how to drive yet on you know you get these big crms that can do a million different things but really you just need a way to manage your contacts track deals 
uh, manage tasks, which that was the one weird one that I just, it, most CRMs don't have just like a, a Google tasks kind of thing where you can yeah. just put sticky notes in. It all has to be assigned to contacts and whatever. Um, and then just do, you know, basic automated texting and emailing and then tracking those things. And so, um, from that, I was able to link up with a couple of business partners that I'd worked with one before. And one is a, a developer, uh, software developer in the Netherlands. And they just finished another project and they were like, Hey, Tony, you know, what, what are you working on? And it just kind of meshed where we, we decided we were going to launch a real estate CRM really with the same motto or mantra that I've been using for my business on just this is designed to simplify your business so that you can scale. Um, and so that you can then go work hard on your business and then simplify it through the system and then scale. And so it's really, it's not meant to be anything groundbreaking other than just here is a clean, simple way to look at everything in your business instead of a convoluted dashboard with a thousand different things going on um, that you have to sift through. So I think uh, what a lot of times CRMs, are, you know, they're built by developers and developers aren't necessarily real estate agents. Sometimes they are, mm -hmm. sometimes they're not, mostly they're yeah. not. And so I think sometimes it, CRM companies, tech companies get some of the tools a little bit wrong only in the sense mm -hmm. of understanding that providing, um, you know, all of these different uh, features, functionality is great, but what it can result in for especially a newer agent is a lot of anxiety. So they get this, like you said, mm -hmm. they get, you know, their CRM, which is fully featured, has all these amazing tools, yeah. and yet it becomes overwhelming because there's so mm -hmm. much, it's basically a, a blank canvas with all these different, um, you know, all this different paint, all you know, a million yeah. different paint colors. And it's like, oh, uh, what do I do? So you, you're looking to sort of simplify the process, streamline it, make it, it really accessible to agents. Um, so that they can plug in and scale up. Exactly. And I think just designing it, you hit it right on the head, designing something that's for real estate agents, because a, a lot of these big companies, it's a CRM that works really well for an enterprise Fortune 500 company with five levels of management. Sure. It needs to do a lot more than a real estate agent or even a brokerage or a team where you're tracking very specific things. Um, and it's really just saying, let's remove all the stuff that would work well for other industries, but that you don't need in real estate and then do the things that you need in real estate really, really well. And then let's let's bring in some fun stuff. Like we we pulled in chat GPT so you can write listing descriptions and some other things. We just, you know, uh, pulled that in so that you can do all of that from uh, from the CRM. But it's really like, let's let's do the essentials really, really well and get rid of the bluff. Yeah. Yeah. The fundamentals. Let's, let's keep the, mm -hmm. keep the machine oiled and running. Um, yeah. I love it. So I would encourage everyone to check out realtyflow.io. Check out, uh, you, you can do demos there. You can see the CRM in, in, in action and hopefully, um, maybe, you know, become a client. So check out realtyflow.io. Also, I want everybody to follow Tony at on Instagram, TonyClark.RealEstate. We have links to both of those in our show notes. Um, Tony, one last question. Now, you've had a tremendous amount of success in the last 18 months, which, again, it's it's like blowing me away, uh, your success. And by the way, hugely jealous of you. So amazing, uh, amazing uh, <laughs> success uh, there. Uh, je jealousy in, in in the most positive way. Um, what what were mis give us one mistake that 
that you made or something that you're struggling with right now, just so that we know you're human. We know that you have yes. your own struggles. <laughs> Oh, how much time do we have? I'll give you a list. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, uh, if I were to think back, kind of the, the number one mistake that I make over and over uh, is I try to do too much instead of leveraging uh, either leveraging basically anything, leveraging other people's time or uh, abilities or knowledge or software or all of these different things. I, I think the big mistake is um, I, I fall into the trap of, oh, if I want it done right, I need to do it myself. Um, and I think right. everything from I don't need to go to every showing, I can have a showing agent do it, or I don't need to, um, you know, pretend like I know stuff that I don't. Let's go call a mentor or let's, you know, employ other people on my team and train them uh, so that they can go do things better than I could on my own. I think that's the, the thing that I struggle with the most. Uh, and so it's not even a, a mistake that I made one time. It's something I'm still working through on. I, I try to hold on to uh, things longer than I should instead of delegating them and, and putting them into the hands of people who can do them better than me. My, my boss has always said, if you, if you delegate something, assume, and again, this is not like written in stone, but this is his philosophy. Assume that they'll, that the person you delegate the task to will do it to about 70 to 80% mm. of what you would do. So it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be 70 to 80% perfect. And then maybe yeah. you come in and tweak the little last 20, 30% of it. Um, but even that would be pretty helpful, right? So like, even if they yeah. don't quite get it to the Tony Clark perfect perfection level, they can get you at 70, you know, three quarters of the way there. And mm -hmm. then you just, you know, run the ball into the end zone. Um, that's a pretty good deal, you know, but it, but it's hard because you do have to accept less than perfect work. Mm -hmm. Um, because Tony, you have very specific standards, high standards for, you know, whatever, you know, uh, task you may, you may be delegating to somebody and you have very specific rules and, and, and structure. Um, but you do have to sort of accept a slightly less than, uh, for delegation. And that to me has always been the hardest part. I'm curious if, mm -hmm. if you struggle with that as well. Oh, absolutely. And I'd say it's even a pendulum where I, I struggle with either letting go too much or not letting go enough, where if I hire somebody to do something, I've got hey, a virtual ass assistant who he's awesome. He's been working for me for about a year, year and a half now. And um, when I keep going back and forth with him, even still where I'll, I'll micromanage too much and then I'll let the reins out too much as far as I don't give him enough direction, not like I let him slack off or whatever. It's just Hey, here's a task. Go do this. And he's like, "Well, well, Tony, what? How do I do this? Or you know, what? Uh, give me more direction." And it's really finding that balance of saying, "Okay," here and and a new skill set also of managing people that's very different than doing things yourself. And I I'm still very much learning that, but I think that's that's right on where you know 70, 80 percent. There's the expectation, um, and then uh, it, you figure out how to encourage and uplift and uh, and keep accountable anybody who is working for you. Yeah. It's 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 really an impressive thing and we now we are in a global economy. So for anyone out there who is um you know thinking I can't afford an assistant, you might might be able to afford an assistant in your local market, but you might be able to afford an assistant from another country, another part of the world who where the economics are different, where the cost of living is different and we can get virtual assistants. Uh, who will 
who will only want a certain amount of pay that you might be able to afford. So if you are struggling, you know, Upwork is a great website to find mm-hmm. talent um, globally to help you with whatever you're struggling with. And if you're not a numbers guy, hire a numbers guy. You can find them all over the world. And if you're, you know, need help in, in any other way, obviously Tony's leveraging that. And he's saying the same thing that all of us struggle with is we want to do everything ourselves because you know, we, we have a vision for exactly how things should look, feel and sound, but, um, having some people help you, um, and you can get help from all over the world. Now we're so fortunate. So, um, I want everyone who's listening to please. Oh, one more thing. I'm sorry, before I'm interrupting myself, but for anyone out there who is a realtor in the, the Nashville area in particular, you know, any Tennessee realtors, um, I want you to check out Tony's brokerage, which is a house haven in Tennessee. They're an amazing company. Tony was telling me offline about, I was saying, Tony, you're amazing, you know, 40 million in your first year and a half. And he's like, oh, I'll introduce you to my managing broker. He's a total superstar. So if you are an agent in that market and you're like, I'm not getting this, the tools, the, the training, the support that I need from my existing firm. I'd, I'd want to go work at a firm where a guy just knocked out 40 million in a year and a half. Like that's, that's a pretty cool place to me. Uh, I bet they have a few uh, nuggets of wisdom over there, house Haven. So definitely reach out to Tony. Um, you can find him on Instagram, Tony Clark estate. Also um, check out his CRM realtyflow.io. And Tony also practices in Ventura, Cal, well, all over the LA area. Um, we, he is with Beverly and company out there as well. So if you ever wanted to team up with him out in California as well, he would reach out. And remember too, Tony does deals all over the country. So he needs realtor partners. So he has investors that are looking for properties everywhere. So maybe you might uh, be a, have a client that is looking for a deal that Tony can put together in another state, another market. So if you're a realtor and you just want to network with Tony and sort of trade deals back and forth, happens all the time. Reach out to him. Find him on Instagram. Check out his CRM as well. And Tony, I, uh, on behalf of our audience, uh, this has been such a fun conversation with you. We had a, a record number of people watching um, live, which is amazing. So that is so I'm so excited for that. So on behalf of everyone, the collective audience, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. On behalf of Tony and myself, we also want to thank the audience for making it all the way to the end of the episode. Please, we ask that you do just one thing to help us tell a friend. Think of one other realtor that you know that is struggling. I mean, it's 2023. This is a tough year for realtors. Let's be honest. Let's make it a little bit easier for them. Send them a link to this uh, episode so that they can learn from Tony um, and they can have a $40 million uh, next year and a half, just like our our friend Tony. Tony, thank you so much. You're amazing. Um, I'm excited. We'll have you back on the show as you as you continue to scale because 40 million is your bottom now. So I'm excited to see where you're headed. Uh, you'll probably be a billion dollar producer in the 10 years or so. So I'm excited to continue to watch your ascension. Um, but keep us, uh, keep us, uh, you know, in the loop and uh, we will see everybody on the next episode. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, listening and uh, really appreciate the invite. Oh, 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 o